stay with the coach. Day twenty radio, your gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. Tune tanch. Hey, this is Lieutenant Surge, and when I'm not busy zapping my opponents into paralysis, I dig the underground. What is up? I am Justin from another Pokemon-based podcast called Stryton Radio, and as a fellow podcaster, I really dig the underground. Underground Radio, bringing you all of the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. I'm Natil. And I'm Sam. For today's broadcast, we'll be highlighting the latest in Pokemon news, talking about canon Pokemon celebrations and which ones we'd like to see, and spotlighting our very own Pokemon mascot. So sit back, relax, and give your Radio Rotome what it wants. It is time for some Pokemon chatter! Yes. I love uh, Pokemon Chatter. I love Pokemon Chatter, too. Uh, <laughs> you have infinitely far more to talk about than I do, because... Well, not not really, because one of the things that I'm going to talk about is something that we're both going to talk about, so... That's, that's very true. Uh, probably the first thing that we want to talk about is that we are planning a trip in April to... It's Madison, Wisconsin, right? Yes, we are headed to Madison, Wisconsin for the Midwest Regional Tournament for the Pokemon video game. Yes, and that is going to be all kinds of exciting. I mean, and we would like to see uh, how many people would actually be interested in going for the actual trip, because, you know, the two of us figure that, you know, the more people we can get on board with this, the less expensive it'll be. And because, you know, Madison, Wisconsin from Fargo, North Dakota is kind of a long trip. But uh, the way we kind of figured it is that we would go there, we would bring some double teams for, you know, the two of us anyway. And if anybody wanted to go who was interested in the TCG side of it, that that same tournament was going on the same day. So we could probably get all, if we wanted to, we could probably get a whole convoy of people going. And, you know, we'd all just be having fun and playing Pokemon and just having a grand old time. And that sounds amazing. I love the idea of a Pokemon convoy. I know. And, (laughs) you know, I was actually talking to Mitch about this, and he said that he actually went on a Pokemon convoy with, um, uh, I think it was Richard, uh, not the Richard we know, but the Richard that he knows, uh, Josh and Scott. And they all went to a Battle Roads tournament in, I think it was Minneapolis. And they said Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and it was, you know, they had a fantastic time. And I would love to see, you know, this be just as fantastic a time. And if we can get, you know, 
even if we could get two or three more people on this, you know, it would be fantastic. Oh, it'll be great. And it's, it is a long trip, but Madison is literally the closest uh, regional tournament there is for us. So we're going to pack up the car and drive down to Madison because and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, we've been competitively battling for a while now, but we've never really gotten to go to a fully TCPI sanctioned tournament because there just aren't any in our area. The leagues in our area are too new, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, around here, especially the, the TCG seems to be the more popular thing to do. Yeah, that's true. So going to this regional tournament is not only, you know, super exciting for us, but it's going to be our first really huge experience in battling other competitive trainers rather than just the small group of people that we've gotten used to competing with. Yeah, and that's going to have to be something we plan for, too, because, I mean, you know, while you and I are probably some of the best there are to have in, you know, North Dakota, that's not really saying too much when you're out in the broader scale of people <laughs> who have been, you know, even people who have leagues that have, you know, probably closer to 50 or 60 regular members every week and, you know, taking this super seriously and, wow, it's going to be tough. It's going to be intense. Like, I'm I'm not expecting, like, I'm not expecting to go in and do super well just because this will be, like, the first time I will have done something like this. But my my goal is to not get knocked out first round. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't lose first round, it will be a worthwhile trip. <laughs> and as a result of these conversations that Sam and I have been having about going to the regionals tournament, I'm finally starting to plan a doubles team. Well, that's good. <laughs> I've I've been avoiding this for a long time because I'm like doubles battling is something so different from singles and singles is literally all I've done to this point and I've gotten really good at it like I'm really good at team synergy for singles battles I've got you know plans and I'm starting to get really good at predicting my opponent in these types of battles and dealing with my team in a way that is effective. And now it's like, oh, hey, Nathiel, you have to battle doubles if you want to participate in this regional tournament. And I'm just like, ah! Yeah, the the doubles, I don't have any ideas how to as how to play them. I mean, you know, the standard... The standard way of battling that we've always been introduced to in all of the Pokemon games has always been singles. You know, it's the double, triple, and rotation have always been rare if, you know, you would ever find them. And so the whole concept of having to switch gears from, you know, single to double is kind of an intimidating process. It really, really is. So, like, I finally, I finally sat down this week at League and started plotting out a doubles team, and I'm liking where it's going. Like, I, th I think that there's a lot of potential for what I'm doing, and I, have, I am, of course, going to be relying on some weather, but that's simply because weather is a very powerful factor in any battle. Well, weather, weather is just broken in this, gener in this generation of games regardless. I mean, it always has been as soon as it was introduced. So, you know, <clears throat> having a weather team is just something that you can't get away from. I mean, the the battles in double battles are 
reliant on you having some sort of field effect to give you the advantage this time around. There's just no getting around it. Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm building a weather team. I was planning on maybe perhaps building a uh, trick room team, but I think that for this first tournament, I should stick with more of what I know, and that's weather. Yeah. Um, over trick room, I think that a trick room team would be astonishingly awesome, but I also think that might, that might be a bit too much for me this first go around. Yeah, and I don't know the trick room team. I mean, that requires some very specific. That requires some very specific things going on in it that I've read about and, you know, I understand the theory of, but I don't know if I'd be able to pull something like that off right away right now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's something that I've I've definitely got on the back burner now and I'm really researching and thinking about, but for the time being, considering there's only four months until this tournament, I need to focus on something that I can legitimately pull something very good out of, and that's that's going to be this weather team. Yeah. You have a bit of exciting news about something new that you have procured. Yes. The, uh, I don't know, I was running through my whole uh, list, my whole technology, you know, my whole technology stockpile I have here, and I realized that my old computer, while it's been serving me incredibly well for the last couple of years, is not quite cutting it anymore in terms of just processing power and being able to do the things I need it to do. And so I replaced it with a new computer. And when I got it, I was trying to think of a name for it because, you know, you name just about every single one of your electronic devices. Oh, I do. All of my electronic devices have a name. (laughs) So I was thinking, you know, what would be a really cool name for my computer? And then I thought about it for a second and I was just like, it's got to be Rotom. So I named it Rotome C for Rotome Computer Form. And, I love it. I love it so much. And, you know, I love the name, too. And, of course, you know, thinking back on it, I really should have seen the irony coming. Because as soon as I named it that and I worked with a computer for a couple of hours, I started having all kinds of registry errors. Oh, and no. You know, just general shenanigans going on with the computer. Had to call tech support three different times to figure out what was going on with it. There's a poltergeist in your computer. Pretty much. And But now I think I've got everything situated, everything squared away. I'm pretty sure that Rotom C and I have come to an understanding. And because of that, I changed all of the menu bars on it to blue. And I put a giant Rotome wallpaper all over the front of my computer. So it's got the little Rotome face in the bottom right-hand corner, (laughs) and it's all orange, and I love this computer right now so much. It's it's one of those minimalist uh, Pokemon ones, right? Yes, it is. So those those minimalist Pokemon uh, wallpapers are actually what I use to make all of the banners on the Underground Podcast's website. Yep. There is no standard definition of his little cone or the lightning bolts or anything. It's just his face on a blank orange, you know, flat thing all over my desktop. And I think it looks a whole lot cooler that way because then it's like the Rotome is actually in the computer as opposed to just an image of him on the computer. (laughs) The Rotome's all up in your computer. And I am okay with this (laughs) as long as I don't have any more problems. I think... 
<laughs> I think it's really cool. I really, I really think that it's a cool name for your computer. I think that it's super exciting, and it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, something I the the last thing that I kind of want to talk about before we head over into the news desk is I had a couple of interesting battles at League this past week. Oh yeah. Yeah, I fought Richard twice at League, and I lost both times. Ah. I was a little disappointed the first time I lost, but not because of my performance, but because the team that I had in my battle box I thought was my um mostly OU team, but it was my almost entirely NUE4 team. Ah. And I was like, oh look, four electric type Pokemon, and Richard has a has a Swampert. That's not good. <laughs> So, so that, that went, that went very poorly for me. And I was kind of just like, you know, I was disappointed because I didn't check before I got into the fight with him. So immediately after I I threw together my good team and I went at him and it was, it was a great moment for Richard. And if, if Richard were listening to this podcast, he could write in with a victory road story about it. Just saying. Yeah. (laughs) But he took down my Relicamp for the first time ever that we have been battling. Nice. He has never defeated Relicanth before. <laughs> it was it was pretty intense. Like I've I've come to rely on Athol pretty heavily because he is pretty ridiculously amazing. And um I got myself into a bad situation for him. Like it's it's my fault that he went down, not his fault. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, we got into a situation where it was him versus a uh, quiver-danced Lilligant with Mega Drain. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, good gravy, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Relicanth went down like a ton of bricks. <laughs> yeah. That'll happen. I thought it was it was hilarious. Like it was the first time that I'd ever thrown Relicanth out into a situation and been like, "This is the end. This Pokemon is never gonna come back." <laughs> like there is no way. Like I mean, he's done crazy things before. I mean, he's he's stood up to ridiculous Moxie Thunderfangs and all sorts <laughs> of stupid things that he should never have survived. But I knew I knew that that Quiverdance Lilligan had him. <laughs> yep. Oh, yay quad weakness to grass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that wraps it up for chatter for me. I think that does it does it for you too, right? Yep. Crazy awesome. Let's go talk about some news. Sounds good. The first and most obvious uh, big point of news that we are going to talk about, and it's honestly like the only piece of news for this week, is that uh, Pokemon.com has been teasing a mystery announcement. Both the English and Japanese official websites have now teased this impending announcement that is set to hit on January 8th simply stating that it's, quote, big news, and that we as Pokemon fans should, quote, stay tuned. This indicates that the announcement is going to have worldwide implications, since it's the same teaser on both sites, though there's absolutely no indications at this point, officially, what the announcement will be. Well then. <laughs> it's 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 pretty crazy, and, like, I I added this little extra bullet point to this news point this morning, because... There has been 
a rumor going around now um, on several Pokemon websites, including things like uh, Bulba Garden and Cerebee, and it's even expanded to forms like GameFAQs and things like that now. And it's this huge post being perpetrated by some guy calling himself Yellow Giant. And he's got like, oh, how many bullet points here? Three, four, five, six. He's got seven bullet points here about all of these things that he says this announcement is going to encompass. And it's supposedly like the move into sixth generation. It includes hmm. things, it includes things like, uh, launching three versions of the game simultaneously that they're calling the quote Pokemon Trinity. It's talking about how the game is in full HD and that movement is no longer grid based, but free form. He's talking about how they're going to rehaul a bunch of the mechanics like the IV and EV systems, which is ridiculous, might I say. He's talking about how it's going to be less plot-focused than the previous games, and that they're introducing a whole new type called the digital type. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Okay, so my, my thing with including this is not because that I in any way, shape, or form think that any of this is true. The reason that I have included this is for the exact opposite reason. Kids, this is the internet. Sit, sit down with Grandma Natil, who is far older and wiser than you, I am sure. <laughs> and, and we will have a discussion about the internet. The internet is this magical place in which everyone and anyone can be anonymous and whoever they would like to be because no one questions who you are on the internet. And the magic of that is you can say whatever you want and people will probably believe you if you find the right stupid people to listen to you. Now, being that this is the internet, you, you can't, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. You can't. It's just, it's not how it works. This, this guy is sitting out here on an anonymous forum, not giving any sort of like credential information about himself or anything like that. And he, he's yanking your chain, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, huh. Why yeah. do why do people have to be like this? I don't know. It's it's so uh I don't I don't know all of these things that he's talking about just I don't know. It makes my brain hurt a little just to think about. I well I know cuz it's it's like it's only been a few months since the release of uh, black 2 and White 2. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been, well, I guess, yeah, like three months, four months now? Yep. Not very long, turns out. Yeah. They aren't going to be popping out a new Pokemon game that early. Well, at least not sixth generation. Yeah. We're we're still solidly in fifth gen. And to be completely honest with you, I am assuming that if if we get Ruby Sapphire remakes, they're going to be fifth generation games. Oh, most definitely. Because if you'll remember, when we switched over to fourth generation, we got Diamond Pearl Platinum and then Heart Gold Soul Silver and then fifth generation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, they they always try and extend out the 
use of the games as far as they can possibly get them to go. I mean, they had the uh, Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald, and the two remakes of Fire Red and Leaf Green in 5th gen, or in 3rd gen, gen, and then they started to move into the 4th generation games. And, you know, if anything, they're probably going to be having these remakes be in 5th gen, because, you know, they planted the seeds, really, of a remake of of Ruby and Sapphire in Black 2 and White 2. I mean, they already got a event for Groudon and Kyogre in Japan for Black 2 and White 2, right? I think so. I think there has been. I, I try really hard not to pay a whole lot of attention to the Japanese events because it just makes me rage. That's fair. But uh, they <laughs> but- also had different areas in black two and white two that were specifically lava and specifically water too. Oh, absolutely yeah and all so, all of that is all of that is like totally foreshadowy in that respect i totally am on board with the idea of this announcement possibly being hey ruby sapphire remakes because that would make my little heart explode with joy i know but this whole idea of an, an early move into sixth generation in which they're redoing the type chart and re- rehauling IV and ED systems that as a whole haven't changed much since third generation, I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, and I don't know, the brand new type... I mean that it just <laughs> sounds so stupid. Do, do you do you want to share with our listening audience what Yellow Giant thinks that this new type is going to be like? Yes. Uh, as it turns out, this guy thinks that the new type is going to be called the digital type. Ooh. Yeah. Futuristic. Fancy, fancy and futuristic. Oh my. Uh, but apparently, this digital type is neutral, which means no weaknesses, resistances, or immunities, which is crap. And but apparently, when it's the secondary type, uh, it doubles the weaknesses and resistance of the base types. So fire digital is four times weak to water and one quarter resistant to ice. This whole thing, you know, many new Pokemon being introduced, not as many as Unova, including digital Pokemon. It's just like, this is so stupid. Oh, yeah, and, and quote, plenty of new evolutions to old Pokemon that have appeared following the time skip. And yeah. Like, he, he, in, he introduces this idea of, like, a time skip, and, like, he talks about, he talks about how the new region is a space colony reminiscent of those seen in anime, like Gundam, or Nintendo's own Metroid. And it's like, you know, it, no. Pokemon is not going into the future. That's not what these games have been about. Yeah. The, the games are not about a futuristic, anything they they if anything they've been they've been very very much rooted in the past i mean we we've had you know apricorns okay yeah (laughs) i will remind you of the man who will craft you a pokeball with his own two hands out of the berries that you pull from the trees (laughs) (laughs) well not only that but this guy should remember that every time we've ever had a group that was all about the future and, you know, creating all this weird technology and stuff like that. It has always been the evil 
group, the evil organization. I mean, Team Galactic <laughs> and Team Plasma. You know, you had Team Rocket, who used a lot of technology to control Pokemon. You know, you have all of these things, and it's all indicating that this guy is full of it. it you know, it, and if you don't, if you don't believe any of that, if you don't agree with what Sam and I are saying here, I, I will I will throw out one more term because it is a very important one to mention in the whole state of rumors and leaks and things like that, and that is Non-Disclosure Act. Yeah. When you get signed on to a project of as huge of a caliber as a sixth generation Pokemon game would be, you sign non-disclosure acts, and these non-disclosure acts are not friendly things. They are terrifying. Breaking these things could get you sued for millions of dollars. You could lose your job. You could be blacklisted from getting other jobs. It's it's crazy the kind of risk that this guy would be taking to pop out and throw these things out there in, you know, in breaking his non-disclosure act. Nobody's going to do that. No, and if they're not going to be doing it for games like, say, Halo 4 or Black Ops 2 or even Assassin's Creed 3, they're definitely not going to do it for a Pokemon game. No, the, like, 30 seconds of internet fame is not worth several million dollars in lawsuits, because the Pokemon franchise is a probably well up there in the billion-dollar franchise numbers. Yep. So, just... Blah! Mm-hmm. That's that's Yellow Giant's rumor. Read at your own risk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's let's talk about some other quick bullets of news. <laughs> yes. For anybody who might not remember, and I certainly forgot all about this until I just read it now, uh, the Pokemon Conquest DLCs are set to end on Monday. So if you need to download the episodes yet, please do so before it's too late. And you know, these are set to expire, like I said, on Monday. And once these downloadable episodes are gone, they're probably never going to be seen again. True story, because this game is not one that is going... It's not like a Pokemon game where if you miss the Lugia event, there'll be another one in four to five years. It's true. Pokemon Conquest is more than likely a one-time thing, as awesome as it was. It's true. All right, so that takes care of, like, normal Pokemon-related news. The last bit of news that we're going to throw out is uh, specific to the Underground, and that is that suggestions for this month's Double Team segment are officially open. It Indeed. is It's the first week of January, which means it's a, new, <laughs> it's a new Double Team month. So the first three suggestions to be sent to the Underground will be up for voting next week. If there is a Pokemon you would like to see Sam and I build a team around, make sure you let us know. Did we already do Josh's Pokemon for the, uh... Yeah, we already did. We already yeah, did. We, we've done Dunsparce. Dunsparce yes. is done. You cannot suggest Dunsparce anymore. So, sorry, Josh. You're going to have to find a different Pokemon to work with on this one. <laughs> I'm going to have to find another Pokemon to torture us with. <laughs> We'll be right back. 
topic, we decided we'd like to spend some time discussing celebrations and festivals in the Pokemon world in honor of the new year. We'll take a look at some of the festivals and celebrations that have been presented in the canon world, as well as presenting some new festivals that we think should be made canon as soon as possible. Indeed. So, uh, starting off, we're going to talk about uh, the host of canon celebrations that Sam and I could dig up as we were preparing show notes, starting with this thing called the Feather Carnival. Ooh. Indeed. <laughs> the Feather Carnival is an annual carnival held in Fortree City that celebrates all flying-type Pokemon. It has carnival-style food and games, and vendors that sell small Pokemon like Hopip and Chimico. The idea of vendors selling Pokemon is a little weird to me. Yeah, it is. But even more weird is the fact that they're selling Hopip. Aw, you just don't like Hopip. I don't. I think Hopip are adorable. Jump off is okay. Skip Loom, okay. Hopip, not okay. <laughs> There's a point of diminishing return. Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. It's, no, Hopip is not an okay Pokemon. <laughs> their, their eyes are what freak me out the most. I mean, it's it's like you and Mr. Mime. You don't like Mr. Mime. I don't. Mr. I don't Mime. like Hopip. Hopip looks creepy. He's like a little doll almost, just hanging out there. He's even creepier than, God, what is the other one? Banette. Even creepier than Banette. Oh, that's saying something. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of like this one. And it's held in Fortree City, which is really awesome, too, because I remember that city from 3rd Gen. And, you know, that was the one that was built up into the trees. It had the flying-type gym. And, you know, it's really awesome that they were able to tie in the games and the anime together. I totally agree. The one that we have up next is called the Johto Festival. And as you would assume, and you would assume right, it takes place in the Johto region. And it's meant to help educate people about the region. It features battling exhibitions, and the winners receive rather big prizes. This is one that actually occurred only in the anime. Um, it's not a video game specific festival, but it it's really kind of cool. Like when I was when I was doing research on this one, I couldn't find like the exact city that it takes place in because it's like one of those random cities that Ash and Party just sort of walk through without getting a name. <laughs> But it's it's an educational festival, and I think that in and of itself is kind of a neat thing, uh, because not not every celebration has to be, you know, just one big party. It's totally cool to you know educate people while you're celebrating. Indeed. The next one that we're going to talk about is actually called Kids Day. Oh. Uh, this one is actually based on a real life Japanese festival called Kodomo no Hi. It is a day to celebrate children. Kids on this day receive special gifts and extra respect from their parents and other adults. Most kids are actually excused from school or enjoy special days of festival and celebration while still in attendance at school. In the Pokemon world, mochi is traditionally served to the children, which is this fancy, awesome, like, rice pastry thing that I am madly in love with. And uh, banners in the shape of Magikarp are flown. Why Magikarp? I'm not sure. That seems like a terrible Pokemon to have as a, as a mascot, mascot kids for day. Kids Day. I'm I'm sorry, but that's just a terrible one. I mean, there are so many different ones that would have been so much better. 
to go with. I mean, some of the starter Pokemon would have been awesome. You know, I don't know. It's just Magikarp. What? Well, and, you know, it's, it's probably partly because since it's so based on the Japanese festival of Koromo no Hi, it's maybe it ties in with some traditional koi imagery. Yeah, maybe. But at the same time, it's like Magikarp. <laughs> yeah. Well, they can splash over a mountain if they want to. So I guess, you know, I, there must there must be some gap of information that we're not seeing. I guess. Uh, the next one is the Mareep Festival. And this is a small annual festival held in a ranching region in Johto. Uh, it is a battling and beauty competition exclusively for Mareep. That is so funny. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's really cool because obviously in this specific little ranching region in Johto, the Mareep are their, you know, they're vital to this region. The Mareep are their source of income. And they, you know, they celebrate these Pokemon by having a festival that is dedicated entirely to their species. It's not like Mareep, Flaffy, and Ampharos. It is just Mareep, the first evolutionary stage in that evolutionary line. Yeah. It almost kind of reminds me of the uh, fair in Ransom County. Savaka? Oh, no, the Ransom County Fair. Yeah. Okay, specifically the Ransom County Fair. I see I see what you're getting at. Yep, because they have all the 4-H stuff and all the cows and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and it's like, you know what? This is, this is Mareep 4-H. So there you go. I love it. Okay. Yeah. The next one on our list is the Millennium Festival. The Millennium Festival is a festival held in honor of the Millennium Comet's appearance in the night sky. And uh, we actually see it in the, the Jirachi Wishmaker movie, which Sam and I have not gotten to yet, but... We'll get there. <laughs> someday. someday. So until, until that point, I think maybe we'll hold off our, uh, our discussion on this celebration of the Millennium Comet. Indeed. The one we have up now is called Nomad's Independence Day, which is a very odd name, but you know. Yeah. Uh, this annual festival appears exclusively in the Pokemon manga, which actually, which I've never actually known one to occur like that. And celebrated in Fuchsia City, it honors the independence of various nomadic tribes people within the Kanto region. Over 100 Pokemon races occur over the week-long festival. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, because not only does it, like, give this sort of weird, deep look at history in the Kanto region, because, I mean, it's, it's you know, saying that there are nomadic native tribes people to this region that when the current government systems took over were granted independence. Yeah. And oh, it's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's really cool. <laughs> that is very cool. I'm weirdly excited about this. It is a really cool festival. It really is. Um, up next, we're going to talk about the Legend Festival, which is another one of those movie festivals. Um, the Legend Festivals is held in the Orange Islands, specifically on the island of Shimodi. Shimodi? Is that yeah. how we're going to pronounce that? I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Specifically held on the island of Shimodi, this celebration was seen in, like I said, Pokemon the Movie 2000, which if you want to know more about, you can check out the episode that Sam and I did a few episodes ago. <laughs> yep. And, you know, this was first and foremost a reenactment of a prophecy 
which tells of a chosen one who will appear to aid Lugia in calming the legendary birds Moltres, Zapdos, and Articuno, and therefore save the world. Um, and it's apparently also told by, you know, uh, Slowking, but... <laughs> we we don't talk about that Slowking. That Slowking broke no. the fourth wall, and I don't like him. Um, that Slowking is dangerous. But, like, the, the festival itself is kind of cool, because it's it's a festival that sort of has these kind of, like, almost... Um, almost like native sort of undertones in which it's a, it's an ancient festival that's been passed down. To me, it felt very, I, I want to say Hawaiian in nature. Yeah. Um, Cause like when, when I went to Hawaii, when I was in high school, we got to see um, like a traditional fire dance celebration. And, you know, we, we got to do the whole roasted pig thing and all that kind of crazy stuff. And it was, it was really, really cool. And that's what this festival feels like to me. So having kind of that, analogous relationship in the Pokemon world is a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Next up, let's talk about the Pastoria Krogunk Festival. Ooh. This is a festival celebrating Pastoria City's mascot, Krogunk. Trainers Ooh. with Krogunk compete in a competition on strength and beauty, and the winning Krogunk in the competition gets to face the champion of the previous year in battle. The winner of the battle will actually receive a crown with a diamond and pearl set within it. Okay, then. <laughs> there's, there's lots of these weird little festivals that are, like, specific to one Pokemon. I know, right? <laughs> and who... Can can I ask a question? Sure. Who thinks that Krogunk are beautiful Pokemon? Like, is is beauty a word that is typically associated with Krogunk? I mean, I would associate words like beauty with, oh, I don't know, say Ninetales? Yeah. But, but Krogunk? Well, some people are passionate about their Krogunks. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, Krogunk, just run with it. Okay, okay, we'll just, we'll just run with it. Okay. <laughs> Next one we've got is... The Pokemon Exhibition, which Ooh. is... Yeah, I know. It sounds really fancy. Um, it's held in Florando in the Johto region, and this annual gigantic outdoor Pokemon festival uh, draws incredible fame as trainers and their Pokemon come to put on shows from all over the world. Oh, that's cool. It's it's kind of like a Maker Faire style thing. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's from... It's Pokemon from the entire world over and their trainers coming in one place to really display what, you know, what kind of Pokemon there are, what their battle skills are. You know, they get to put on shows and, you know, it's, you know, assuming, assuming, you know, you've got also got contests in there, too. I mean, it sounds brilliant. That sounds really, really cool. Was that an anime? Uh, yes. Oh, now I want to watch that episode. <laughs> Just so I can see. I know, right? Uh, up next, we have another anime-related festival. It's called the Pokemon Swap Meet. And in the anime, the festival was held in oh Pompona, a city in the Johto region. Lots of Johto celebrations. Johto is like the celebratory region. Yeah. Uh, trainers at this particular festival gather to groom their Pokemon and show off their battle skills in the hopes of trading Pokemon they no longer want for Pokemon they would like. I was put off a little by this when I read this one. I mean, 
you know, sure, I get that you're, you know, trying to, you, you know, you're trading Pokemon off, you know, you want them to look good and everything like that, but it seems like you wouldn't really have a festival for that. It's it's a little it's a little strange. I mean, like the the Pokemon swap meet idea in and of itself. I I have a harder time reconciling trading Pokemon in the anime than I do in the game. Yeah, because like in the anime, I mean these these Pokemon are supposed to be you know traveling with you and you're supposed to be developing friendships with them and things like that. Like I would I would never trade Thor to anyone. I know. But then maybe that's the difference between us, though. I mean, when we when we're going through and we're catching our Pokemon and we're training them, I mean, those are the Pokemon that we want and that we are going to be making for, you know, our very own. And we're going to have a strong connection to them. But I'm sure, like, you know, for all the Pokemon we have in our battle box... Yeah, you know, that that's true. Like, I mean, I don't have any qualms with sending away all of the itty-bitty little you know, Electric that hatched in in the wake of trying to obtain the perfect Thor. Exactly. So in this way, you're, you know, polishing them up, you're showing them off, and you're doing it in the hopes of getting a Pokemon that you would like. So, you know, maybe maybe there's some logic there, but still it does seem a little weird. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. But I mean, I'm sure Ash didn't have any qualms about like trading off his Krabby or something like that. <laughs> you know, I've well, no, you don't even get Crawdont from that. That's from the smaller little Corfish. Corfish, yes. So yeah, I wouldn't have any qualms with it. I mean, Kingler, you know, okay, I guess, but he's not a Pokemon that I feel any need to have one of right away. Indeed. So, Princess Day. Ooh! Yes, this one was really cool. I was researching this, and there is actually a festival in Japan that this is based off of. And this one is celebrated all over the Pokemon world, and features many sales, events, and activities which are for women only. And during this festival, uh, female trainers can participate in a tournament where the participants are placed into four different divisions and the winners of which compete against each other in the finals. And the participants in this one actually wear traditional Japanese clothing, you know, including but not limited to a kimono and a decorative fan. That is actually really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's, ah, oh, I like it. I like it a lot. And if I remember right, for this for the episode of the anime this was featured in, uh, both Misty and Jesse were participating in the tournament, and they were you know reminiscing about you know the Princess Day festivals that they went to in the past. And Misty actually won the tournament, and she, as you know, the the winning prize she got a whole set of pokemon themed dolls yep yep they're they're poke dolls and the cool thing about the poke dolls is that the poke doll prize in this um episode is actually analogous to collections that uh japanese girls in the real world will collect for their own princess days yep it's really cool. The, the polka dolls are actually really adorable. It's like a bunch of like it's like a lot of the starters and like Clefairy and Chansey and Jigglypuff, and they're all wearing traditional little Japanese clothes. That is pretty adorable. They're pretty ridiculously cute. 
Up next, we have our very first um, seasonal-related festival, and it's called the Summer Festival. Um, while in the anime dub, the festival was said to celebrate the end of summer, the activities are more reminiscent of the real-world Japanese celebration that happens at the beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. People people dress in brightly patterned clothes, they light paper lanterns and bonfires, and hold performances and carnival games in the evenings, while floating tiny boats with candles to help guide the spirits of the departed. It does sound really awesome. It's kind of cool. It's a it's a neat little sort of like traditional style um, festival, though I have to admit that, you know, that whole festival takes on a little bit of a more sinister and terrifying meaning when you remember the discussion that we had on ghost type Pokemon earlier. Yeah, it does. <laughs> we'll, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, well, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Sunflora Festival. Oh, look, another Pokemon-specific one. I know. Uh, <laughs> this festival is held in Bloomingvale City, an anime-specific location between Violet City and Azalea City in Johto. And it's a beauty contest, not surprisingly, for the Pokemon Sunflora. And the Sunflora, judged to be the happiest and healthiest, nets the winning trainer a trophy and a year's supply of, get this, instant noodles. <laughs> Oh my god, that's hilarious, because they're looking for the healthiest sunflora and stuffing you full of a year's worth of instant noodles. Yeah, because apparently instant noodles are all the healthy in the Pokemon world. There's there's no danger of, you know, getting heart disease from all that sodium at all. None at all. (laughs) But, uh, you know, when I was actually, I looked at the episode for this, and some of the, some of the ways they go about getting their sunflora to be happiest and healthiest are a little are a little unorthodox. I mean, they had one guy who was who had hired a comedian to tell jokes to his sunflora to get it to smile more. <laughs> and it's like really? Oh okay. That's that's unique. But yeah, the Sunflora Festival. That's that's kinda cool. I can get behind it. Yeah, the instant noodles, though, that's, uh, you know, well, the I people... I that's in, hilarious. The people in the city get super excited about it, and apparently the instant noodles are, like, the big thing there. So, you know, whatever whatever floats their boat. Whatever floats your boat. Alrighty. Up next, we have the Twinleaf Festival. Uh, this festival is held, obviously, in Twinleaf Town, as its name suggests. It's an annual event that hosts games and performances and other similar things. Um... Although in more recent years, the Twinley Festival has been obtaining some celebrity guests like Professor Oak because there was a and there was a, recently a battle tournament where the winner got the chance to fight Tower Tycoon Palmer. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So like this, what started off as like, you know, another cookie cutter traditional uh, festival has sort of evolved into this sort of neat chance to be able to hobnob and fight with some Pokemon celebrities. And, you know, getting Professor Oak there is one thing, but getting Tower Tycoon Palmer out there is something else entirely, because, I mean, he'd have to go all the way from Sinnoh over to Johto to this tiny little twin leaf town to do this. So, I mean, this is a pretty serious event if they're having, if they can get 
you know, Palmer to get out there to, you know, the middle of nowhere, essentially, in Johto to do that. Oh, it absolutely is. 100%. And, you know, the Wishing Bell Festival is... Yeah, it's the, I think it's our only Unova region festival we found. And this one is a, you know, obviously a festival in Unova region. It involves a series of six contests, and the winner of which has the privilege to ring the wishing bell atop of Mistralton Tower. That's kind of cool. Yeah, the contests were, you know, they were they were almost like the Pokathlon in terms of contests you know you ran around with your pokemon and you performed you know like these little like marathon runs or you know feats of strength and that sort of thing and you know at the very end you got to go up to the wish to the wishing bell on top of mistralton tower and ring it and you know i don't know if there was any sort of direct correlation to pokemon like there is in you know the video games with the wishing bell but you know yeah, I I it's it's cool because like, and it's it's not even just it's not even just like the Pokeathlon stuff. There's there's actually a quiz. Yes. Involved, so like you you have to uh you have to be smart, not just you know strong and fast. Indeed. I think it's pretty cool. It is. The last canon style festival that Sam and I managed to dig up is actually another Pokemon specific one, <laughs> and it's the Wobbuffet Festival. Wobbuffet. Really, yes, the Wabafit Festival. Okay. <laughs> it's it's an annual festival held in, get this, Wabafit Village. Oh, man. <laughs> the writing in this show is fantastic. It's it's actually kind of a neat festival in that, um, in honor of Wabafit's non-aggressive take on battling, no Pokemon battles are permitted to occur within Wabafit Village on that day. Oh, well. You know, that's cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, Wobbuffet Festival. <laughs> In Wobbuffet Village. I never would have thought Wobbuffet would have had a festival after it, but you know. Wobbuffet. <laughs> no, wait, wait. The, the appropriate response to that is, why not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize to our listeners. <laughs> So Sam and I are going to stop down now and sort of like talk about some festival ideas that we think would be cool to include in uh, the Pokemon canon that just sort of haven't happened quite yet. Indeed. Uh, The first one that I thought of just straight up was a a Halloween style celebration or an All Saints Eve or however they want to call it, because there are a stupid amount of ghost type Pokemon that should just, you know, a creepy celebration just seems like the way to go. Where's the masquerade? Where's the costuming? Where's the trick-or-treating? It's almost sort of, I would almost think it would be sort of like Nightmare Night. Oh, I can can see that. Because you're going to be running around and, you know, there are all kinds of terrifying ghost-type Pokemon out there. You know, maybe they would be, like, offering candy to, you know, effigies of, like, Gengar or dust noir or something like that to give them like foods that they don't come bother them at all or something or maybe that's the exact reason they don't have halloween because (laughs) ghost type pokemon are terrifying maybe (laughs) maybe (laughs) okay so for me 
because I think it should be blatantly obvious and because they already had one in Fortree City that was similar to it, the uh, Blackthorn City in Johto should have a Dragon-type celebration. I think there should, should be celebrations for every type of Pokemon. There should be. Like, there have to be pockets in every single... Like, there has to be enough pockets of super-concentrated, elemental-style people within the Pokemon world that there could be a location for such a festival. Snowpoint City. Snowpoint City, ice type Pokemon, done. Charge Stone Cave should have an electric type festival. Like, there should be, like, a group of people that come together at Charge Stone Cave to have an electric type festival. Or Nimbasa City. Or Nimbasa City. Nimbasa City could work too, but I like like the idea of it being in Charge Stone Cave because it's all, like, sparky and glittery. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm crazy. But yeah, I would love to see, but that's just me talking. I want to see a dragon-type festival, because... Oh, absolutely. It would, it would be crazy awesome. Oh, yeah. Though I could imagine if people got into battles and, you know, there were all of the Draco meteors getting fired around everywhere, the destruction would get pretty bad really quickly. <laughs> Maybe instead of battling, it's more just like a celebratory thing. Like, you, you can have, like, a parade where, you know, a group of people gets to come through with... You know, like the traditional Chinese um, lion costume thing, only it's a dragon air. Ooh, that would be cool. <laughs> I would I would be okay with this. I thought you might be. I thought that might be an okay thing. Mm-hmm. Something else that I thought of was that we've already got a there's there's a canon summer style festival. Why aren't there festivals for the other seasons? Why don't we have a winter festival and a spring festival and a fall festival? And, you know, the Pokemon Saz book, I mean, that just writes all of the seasonal festival information right there. Mascot! Yeah, so, you know, Unova, having seasonal festivals for all seasons featuring Saz book, I mean, that's, you know, if as soon as the Saz book begins to change for the season, I mean, that's when you celebrate it. I mean, that's, you know, I'm practically writing an episode of the Pokemon anime as I talk <laughs> right now. Cherry Blossom Festival, go! (laughs) I know. And, you know, it's actually funny that you say a spring festival, too, because I had something that I thought of, and it was after you mentioned it, really, when we were writing the show notes. uh, Having a festival in Floraroma Town for the... To celebrate, you know, the whole idea that Floraroma Town used to be this barren wasteland, and then it spontaneously oh. sprung into flowers. With for Shaman, there should be a, a festival for Shaman because yeah. when Sam and I were writing the show notes, I was convinced that that was a thing. And as it turns out, it's not a thing, which is dumb. I yeah, and you know. Shaman, the gratitude Pokemon, I mean, having a, having a festival celebrating gratitude for the gratitude Pokemon and, you know, all of the amazing natural things that occur around there, that's, that's brilliant, is well, what and, it is. And, like, on top of that, like, if you extrapolate from that, why aren't there specific festivals for the other legendary Pokemon? You know, that's true. I mean, why, why is it that in, in the towns near the the lakes where Mesprit, Azelf, and Uxie reside, why aren't there festivals celebrating the the traits that these Pokemon are supposed to embody? 
we we have the legend festival that we talked about which is sort of tying in with the the myth surrounding the legendary bird trio but we don't have any festivals surrounding the legendary beasts yeah i mean it just seems like an oversight that there there aren't like there isn't a small festival somewhere dedicated to all of the different legendary pokemon indeed though some legendary pokemon have actually earned themselves a very negative light for it too like kyurem i mean nobody's going to be celebrating kyurem because the city that is situated next to the giant chasm everybody in there won't even go out after dark because they fear that kyurem is going to come out and devour them but you know in in that respect um that doesn't mean that there can't be like it's it wouldn't be so much like a, a celebration but there could be going the opposite way a festival dedicated to you know prevent preventatory measures in dealing with the terrifying legendary pokemon i suppose it's it's sort of like that nightmare night style thing yeah <laughs> and, and and just because we and just because we can uh since there are celebrations for pokemon like sunflora and wobbuffet uh there sam sam who should there be a, a festival specifically for Stunfisk. Done. <laughs> Icarus City, the <laughs> international site for the celebration of the of the graceful and serene Pokemon Stunfisk. Stunfisk. <laughs> Everybody goes there. They're all dressed in Stunfisk costumes. They eat little cakes that are shaped like Stunfisk. And it has it has to be called that whole thing. I mean, you're just, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna abbreviate it into an acronym, and everyone's going to have to say that acronym. Yes. And everybody's going to have fun, and the kids are just going to be like, why can't we ever celebrate a cool Pokemon? And <laughs> All the old people will be super jacked, and the kids are like, this is so uncool. Yep. And oh. that's, how things are going, that's how things are going to be. And yeah, Stunfisk, Stunfisk Festival. Alrighty. Well, if if you have better ideas for festivals than Sam and I's idea on Stunfisk, you should totally share them with us. You can do so by joining our discussion for this episode on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com backslash forums, or sending your ideas to us in email format to the underground mailbag at gmail.com. If we get some good ideas from you guys, we'll be sure to share them next week in our mailbag segment. What kind of Pokemon are you? How do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside. What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you loyal through and through? And do you have a heart that's true? What kind of Pokemon are you? This week's Pokemon Spotlight covers number 479, Rotom. Rotom is an electric ghost-type Pokémon that can possess certain appliances in the Pokémon world, upon which his ghost-type changes to either flying, fire, ice, water, or grass. In its natural state, Rotom appears as a small orange sphere with a tall conical point atop its head, surrounded by a blue glow that also arcs out away from either side of its body in the shape of lightning bolts. Its body is actually made up entirely of plasma, which I think is really awesome. It is. It's really cool. <laughs> you know, they actually also said, too, that because its body is made of plasma, Rotom might actually be the power source for a type of futuristic engine that people have been trying to work on. Well, that's kind of neat. Also I know, ter- right? Also terrifying, because Rotom are, you know, 
as, as we're going to mention now, uh, poltergeists. Yeah. Uh, Rotom is strongly implied to be a poltergeist, as it is said to be a very mischievous Pokemon. It wreaks havoc on electronic devices, in delighting in shocking people when they try to touch the device. <laughs> and the first time it was ever encountered in the Pokemon games was in a television in the old chateau in the Diamond and Pearl versions, a strong reference to the 1982 horror film Poltergeist. It's actually kind of a scary movie, BT Doves. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so so poltergeists. It's the it, Rotom are, are poltergeists. Done. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Done deal. Um, the the neat thing about Rotom is that while a normal Rotom changes its blue aura to a different color when possessing an appliance, reflecting the typing that it's taking, a shiny Rotom keeps its non uh, it keeps its neon red aura and will change the color of the appliance itself instead. I was actually surprised when I first figured this out because I was like, well, it's a Rotom. It's going to be shiny, whatever. And then I looked at the, I looked at the color it had and all of a sudden the appliance had changed from orange to this neon red color along with its aura. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, it's it's really really cool. So like sh- shiny Rotom versus shiny Rotom in like normal form isn't that different. It's just it's just that like sort of aura that surrounds them that changes from um blue to, blue red. to red. And then when you start getting into the other ones, suddenly <laughs> suddenly so many epic shiny sprites. I know. <laughs> Rotom is the third Pokemon to have actually had its typing changed in generational shifts. Ooh. The other, yeah, the other two being Magnemite and Magneton. Before Generation Five, no matter what appliance Rotom possessed, it continued to be the electric ghost type, which was amazing when it was there because it was the premier spin blocker for any sort of entry hazards. It was it was a really sweet Pokemon when it got to say Ghost Electric. I I want more Ghost Electric type Pokemon. I know because they... Rotom in his like normal form is is not competitively viable. No 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 no. So it it makes me sad that we don't have like a competitively viable Ghost Electric type. I know. <laughs> that's that's my pouty face. Um, besides the Pokemon Spinda and Unknown, Rotom has the highest number of different forms of any non-legendary Pokemon, with six in total. Which is really awesome. It's What else is really awesome is that the, like, Unknown, you know, you've got, like, 26 of them. More than 28. 26. 28, because there's the exclamation. Exclamation point and question mark. Yep. Um, but Spinda gets the, in that list because the markings on Spinda's change. Every single time. It's so creepy. (laughs) And, you know, speaking of Rotom's various forms, the Fan Rotom is the only flying-type Pokemon with the ability Levitate, giving it a double immunity to ground attacks. (laughs) Which is a little ridiculous. I'm so immune! Rotom has actually been featured on ten different cards in six sets of the TCG, um, and all five of its appliance forms have been seen in the set Rising Rivals, although none of these cards are t- 2013 tournament legal. Which is sad. A little bit. If I could have a deck that had Rotom in it that was competitive, competitively viable now, I would be all over that. 
That would be so cool. I know. <laughs> Due to the incredible variety of Rotome forms, one has to really adapt and choose which kind of strategy to fight a Rotome with. Uh, since Levitate gives Rotome immunity to one of its typing weaknesses, you really should concentrate on powerful moves designed to counter whatever Rotome form you're facing. Uh, since they often carry Trick, be wary of a speedy Rotome form that can pass on a Choice Scarf and cripple your attacker or wall. Or just keep a Choice Scarf user on your team and throw it out there. That's that's what I do every single time I see a Rotome. I'm just like, nope, Trick. There there are several Trick Pokemon that I use that little counter trick with. Um, for for instance, I have I have faced a certain Furret a few times, and the last time oh. I faced that Furret, I was like, here, have my Choice Scarfed Manic Trick. <laughs> I'm okay with taking another Choice Scarf. Indeed. Um, so a- along with that obligatory trick, uh, Rotom also gains powerful stab, gains a powerful stab move for each of its different forms. You get Overheat for Heat Rotom, Leaf Storm for Mo Rotom, Blizzard for Frost Rotom, and Hydro Pump for Wash Rotom, and uh, Air Slash for Fan Rotom, which is substantially less awesome. Yeah, and I don't know, Fan Rotom is substantially less awesome all around because I mean it doesn't get any serious competitive edges over any of the others. I mean, Air Slash, you know, he's he's relatively speedy, but he's not that speedy to really abuse the uh, flinch rate off of it. And, you know, he doesn't get any really t- any big typing advantages off of him either. I mean, I mean, double immunity to ground attacks is too much. Fan so. Rotom really needed uh, Hurricane over Air Slash. If he would have had Hurricane, oh man... That would have been so much better, but nope, it's got to be apparently Air Slash. But, yeah. Which doesn't make any sense to me, because if Mo Rotom can have Leaf Storm and the Refrigerator can have Blizzard, I would expect at least a fan to be able to have Hurricane. Well, right? I mean, that just totally makes sense to me. Yeah. But with solid defenses, you know, very usable special attack, and a decent speed, Rotom really has everything it needs to wreak havoc on an opposing team. While it can learn a whole host of electric attacks beyond the ability of really even most other electric types, I mean, this guy can learn Electroweb, I mean, which blew my mind, because <laughs> I've never, I never have known a non-spider Pokemon to know electric, Electroweb before, and... You know, he learns just about every Electric-type attack under the sun, but it cannot learn any other damaging moves that are affected by the other form's typings beyond the stab moves that we just listed. You know, he can learn things like Sunny Day or, you know, Will-O-Wisp, you know, Rain Dance, but he can't learn anything that actually damages with those, you know, stab with that stab typing. So that kind of sucks. Uh, but Rotom also received the blessing of Pain Split in the Black and White 2 Move Tutor, so it can abuse its incredibly low base 50 HP to sap the life from its enemies. Oh, I love it. I love it. I know, Rotom is such a jerk. Well, and, you know, most Rotom forms aren't terribly utilized in in competitive play, except for Wash Rotom. Wash Rotom is huge. Wash Rotom is a huge competitor on the OU front, especially. I mean, he's he's one of the few Electric-type Pokemon to make that list. I mean, Electric-type Pokemon in OU, you've got 
Wash Rotome, Magnezone, and Jolteon, I believe, are the only three. Probably, yeah. Um, and to be well, to be frank, I have a Wash Rotome, and it, we don't get along very well. That's that's weird. I would have expected you to get along with most electric type Pokemon. I know, and and Wash Rotome and I just we we haven't found our balance yet. I'm working on it because I feel like I really should love the crap out of my Wash Rotome. I just don't. <laughs> Really? Is it just that it's underperformed for you, or...? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think another part of it is that it's one of my... It was one of my first breeding projects. Oh. And a lot of those Pokemon have since sort of disappointed me, other than Tesla. Tesla's the only one of my first breeding projects that I've just kept. Well, Tesla is awesome. It's true. It's true. Tesla is perfect. <laughs> yeah. But my, my Wash Rotome and I have some... Has some working out to do. I was actually thinking about making a couple of the Rotome forms. You know, I'm, I don't really have any desire to make the fan one anytime soon, <laughs> but I was actually thinking of making, well, the wash one is just something that, you know, competitive battling, you know, that should be had anyway. But the mower Rotome, I was actually kind of interested in, and the uh, refrigerator one. Interesting. I don't think I've seen anyone use any other form of Rotome but Wash Rotome before. And it's kind of sad. I mean, the other forms of Rotome are pretty well set down there. I mean, I think the the refrigerator Rotome is set down in, God, what is it, like borderline, maybe? And the mower Rotome, I think that's just got, I think that's a little higher, maybe in the UU tier. But... You know, they could still work really well. I mean, you just have to find a nice balance. And with Pain Split working for them, and that I think they're at base 86 speed, you know, they could still do potentially quite a bit of damage. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. Indeed. All right, so hey, that's Rotome. Indeed. <laughs> Alrighty, Poke fans, it's time again for another question of the week. Starting off, as always, we would like to share some responses that we got from last week's question. Say, I remind all the listeners what we asked last week. Last week, we asked the question, what is your favorite Sinnoh Pokemon? Uh, we got a lot of responses to this one. Oh, yeah. First one, though, I took particular pleasure in <laughs> because Richard uh, sent in via Twitter... Bidoof all the way. And, you know, even though he did go back <laughs> and flip-flop on it and change his mind to Lucario, you know, he he still said Bidoof first. And we're, ho we're holding you to that one, Richard. Yep, so Bidoof. That's one of our favorite Sinnoh-type Pokemon. <laughs> Bidoof. Bidoof. <laughs> Bidoof is on fire. <laughs> Uh, Mitch wrote in with a substantially more uh, appropriate answer, saying that his favorite Poke Sinnoh Pokemon is Frostlass, because she looks so elegantly creepy. The Snorunt line is pretty dang cool in his book. Indeed. You know, I really like Frostlass, too. I just haven't gotten around to making them. 
I haven't made myself a Frostlass either, so... Well, that's another Pokémon to add to the breeding list. Indeed. So. We also had another one by one of our other listeners, Silent Omen. And, you know, he gave us a very touching one, actually. And he his favorite 4th Gen Pokémon, or Sinnoh Pokémon, was Lopini. And he names his Jade after a dear friend who passed away many years back, pushing him out of the path of a drunk driver. And, you know, Sam and I were a little shocked when we got this response, and we kind of just want to give it a, a little moment of silence in tribute, because this is a, a really touching Pers- thing that, that was shared with us. So thank, thank you for that, Silent Omen. Mm-hmm. Continuing down our, our long list, Kent was up next, and Kent started off by giving us a good a good favorite Sinnoh Pokemon. He said Garchomp. Yeah. And, and then he also said, also, not trying to nitpick, but I don't think either of you picked a true Sinnoh Pokemon, just saying. Hmm. Well, Kent, uh, <laughs> seeing as we've already had one person reply in with a Sinnoh Pokemon that I would consider a Sinnoh Pokemon that was also from before our line here, too. I mean, we also had, you know, Frostlass. <laughs> and we've got a couple more up that are coming along here. I don't think maybe we all share your same perspective <laughs> on that one. <laughs> I think that since it was not, a, since Electivire was not available in Gold and Silver, it's a Sinnoh Pokemon. It's true. So, rar. Yeah. We had Justin who wrote in with Luxray. I love its design, plus it has access to some sweet movesets. I can't believe I forgot about Luxray. I know. That Luxray is a great one. I, I approve of this choice. Uh, we had Josh who wrote in, and he he actually debated really heavily on this one. Like he was a little upset with us for making him choose one. <laughs> uh, he he was he was having difficulty deciding between four different Sinotype Pokemon, though he did eventually finally settle on Porygon Z. I can see that. Porygon Z is a good Pokemon. He is. He's really cool looking too. True story. Our last listener, Scrimmy, wrote in Honchcrow. That thing saved my butt in so many battles. It knocks out Latios with Sucker Punch. I like the idea of a sucker punching Honchcrow. I know, right? <laughs> so, just so that we can take a list of things on here, Kent, uh, <laughs> it was myself in the teal, uh, Mitch, uh, Josh, and Scrimmy here, that's five of us, all said Pokemon that had previous evolutions that were introduced in previous generations. <laughs> So, <laughs> bam. Yes, we 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 give we give Kent a little bit of of flack here and there, but but we we love Kent with all of oh, our hearts and souls. It's true. <laughs> this week, Sam and I have a tough question for you guys as listeners, and it's one that we're hoping gets us a, a few longer responses and uh, more exciting responses at that, because it's it's not just another, you know, who's your favorite or what's your favorite question. We want to know, what was your most memorable gym battle? 
Natil, what was yours? Oh my god, okay. So I had to think about this for a long time because I've been playing Pokemon for over a decade. Can you believe that? Is it is it super crazy to anyone else to realize that those of us that started way back in the days of Red and Blue have been playing for over a decade? It is really ridiculous to think about. <laughs> okay, so I've been playing Pokemon for over a decade, and I had some difficulty deciding, and I, I finally sat down and went through a list of all the gym leaders and thought about my battles with them, and I remembered Whitney from Silver. Not Heart Gold Soul Silver, but the original Silver. And that mill tank. That mill tank. It was so bad. I mean, like, because when, when you get to it in Heart Gold Soul Silver, you're prepared. Like, I, I was ready then because I knew it was coming. <laughs> but back in the days of Silver, I was like a 12, 13 year old kid, and I had no concept of, like, real battle skills or anything like that. I was a kid playing these games playing them because I loved them. And I had this team of Pokemon that I really loved, and I was super excited because, you know, it was it was early in the game, and I was super jacked to keep discovering all these crazy new Pokemon because back in that day, like, the internet wasn't a real thing, so whenever I found a new Pokemon, it was a new Pokemon to me. I mean, like, I'd yeah. never seen it before. I'd never seen it on the internet. It uh, just... It was it was crazy awesome. And then Whitney comes out and she's like, here's this Miltank. And I'm like, I've never seen that Pokemon before. That's really... Oh, God, roll out! <laughs> she smashed me to death so fast. Like, my little 13-year-old head was just spinning. <laughs> like, I had no clue what just happened, and I was not okay with it. Wow. So my my most memorable gym battle is actually a defeat, but it was it was a ridiculous defeat of epic proportions. Of course, she did eventually fall to the mighty wrath of my adorable Pokemon, but same thing. Yeah. Tell me about your favorite, or not favorite, tell me about your most me- memorable gym battle, Sam. You know, I've also had to think about this pretty hard because I have been playing Pokemon probably for as long as you have. Right? And... You know, after I debated for it for a while, um, I would actually have to say that my most memorable one happened in Black 2. Really? Yes. That's kind of cool, because now we're on opposite ends of the, of the spectrum. Pretty much. Uh, when I played through this, uh, through Black 2 this time around, the Nimbasa Gym was really, really interesting to me. Oh, I mean, I see. most of the gyms in uh, most of the gyms in Black Two have been just fantastic. I mean, it's a huge, ge- it's a huge generational shift from way back in the day when you know a gym basically consisted of you walking down a straight line, running into three random battles, and then getting to fight the gym leader. The Nimbasa one had all of these ridiculous. Uh, shows of you know light and sound and you could see all of the things going on in it and then you had elisa right at the very end in front of this gigantic screen and you were just like oh man i am about to enter into some seriously you know public and showy uh pokemon battles right here and I really enjoyed that one. And, you know, it could be said that I also liked some of the other ones that were in Black 2. I mean, Roxy's Gym was amazing. I mean, just the fact that you got to go into this underground club and battle Pokemon trainers while the music was playing in the background 
was really, really awesome. Even if the song was a little bit silly. I was still, it was a song that oh, yeah, a band was, was playing. It was really cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was really cool. A lot of the gyms in Black White 2 have been, have been absolutely phenomenal. Exactly. I mean, the gym in, I mean, Drayden's gym was really good as well. Mm-hmm. But Nimbasa gym, I felt, was the best one out of all of them. And that one is one that just blew me away. It impressed me so much. Not to say anything bad about any of the other ones. You know, I have a couple other memorable ones, like Lieutenant Surge's gym, you know, where you had to find the trash in those... I I hated that one. I had no idea what I was doing. I know. I had a terrible time trying to figure out that one. And, you know, it... You know, there were some other ones that were really crazy, too. I mean, um, Heart Gold and Soul Silver, the the Blackthorn City gym where you had to keep rearranging the uh, you had to keep rearranging the platforms as you crossed over this ocean of lava to get to the end of that. You know, there were some really awesome, memorable ones. But Nimbasa City, I think, holds the best image in my mind. That's cool. Okay, well, if. Sam and I want to know what your most memorable gym battle was. Uh, so if you would like to respond, you can, of course, continue to do it over Twitter. I'm at Hot Pink Joystick, and Sam is at Alexiel Solarin. But with a question like this, it might be a little bit more in your best interest if you would like to share a little bit more information on what made that gym battle so memorable for you to do so in the form of an email. Emails can be sent to theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. Or alternatively, you could join the discussions over on the D20 Radio Network forums and put your answer up on this episode's discussion located there. enjoyed today's broadcast you can find back episodes of the underground on itunes or at our website theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com please subscribe to the show via the itunes store or directly through the rss feed on our website if you like what you hear leave us a review or a rating on itunes and if you have any questions comments or suggestions send them with the nearest deli bird to our mailbag or you could just email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com We'd also love to hear your bumpers. Just record an MP3 of yourself telling us that you dig the underground and send it in. We'll play it at the top of the next episode, just like the two you heard earlier today. Please join our discussions over on the D20 Radio Network forums, as well at d20radio.com backslash forums. Please join us again next week when we will discuss the fourth generation advances in Pokemon multiplayer. So until next time, Pokefans, remember that our secret base is always open to you if you can find it. The Underground Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, uncorded license, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Pokemon is a registered trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, 4Kids Entertainment, and Wizards of the Coast. Music used in the show comes courtesy of the OC Remix album, The Missing Note Tracks. These songs and thousands more can be found at www.ocremix.org. 
all original audio, textual, graphical, and video content associated with the Underground Podcast are the sole copyright intellectual property of Nikhil Erickson and Samuel Ranke in affiliation with the D20 Radio Network. 